Welcome to the CDC Podcast, Minisode 4. Unlike our main podcast series, the Minisodes are a chance for myself and a co-host to highlight some games that have gotten virtually no criticism written about them. This is our chance to correct that. They can be anything from itchy art games, prestige-level indie games, all the way to AAA games that might have slipped between the cracks, though generally the games will skew a little smaller. Joining me this time is freelance writer for Pace Magazine, Imran Khan. Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me. Very thankful that you were able to come on on the last minute. So, what is your first game you have for us today? So, the first game I have is a game called Petricor from Sunday Moth. Petricor is actually a word I had to look up, because apparently it's the scent you get from uh, soil after it's been dry and it suddenly rains. Like, there's, oh, there's actually like... Like a specific word for that, which is surprising to me, and like a really appropriate title for this game. That's nice to know. Yeah, the actual etymology comes from, like, the ichor is the blood of gods in Greek vernacular. Mm-hmm. So I would, I found that particularly interesting. The game is sort of, like, structured like a Metroidvania, but almost every indie Metroidvania you see has the same mechanics as Metroid. I feel like that's kind of hamstringing, I guess, genre. Because everything, every Metroidvania you see is you go to this place, you shoot things, and then you earn a power. This one... You earn powers by, like, finding pieces of paper, then sitting down at a little rest area. And it's really non-violent and non-conflict-oriented. You can die, but only if you touch streams of water. So I thought it was really artistic. The way you control it is just mouse controls. I had some notes here. Like, for some reason, I wrote down the word Shadow of the Colossus-style bridge, which, if no one knows what that is, at the end of Shadow of Colossus, to gauge you into the final area a bridge collapses behind you. I'm not sure there's an actual term for that. But it's a really interesting thing that not enough of games do, that it puts you into an area completely devoid of any way to go back. And I think it works really well in Petricor. And it's a game that I recommend everyone at least try, because if you like the Metroidvania idea but don't necessarily like the combat of them, this is probably something right up your alley. Yeah, I'm looking at this. It seems like the main... Power has to do with an umbrella and blocking rain? That's the first initial thing you do. It comes up maybe once or twice and is involved in a puzzle a little bit later. But you gain powers at a pretty fast clip. Like, generally jumping is the second power you gain, then climbing onto things. Then I think things start really opening up once you start getting the ability to actually create fires. It's a nice little analogy for game our power progress. How expansive is this game? It's not very. It's about 30 minutes long, so you probably finish it in a sitting. And then it sort of ends on an uh, odd ending. Just As I noticed, a lot of Unity games tend to do is once it gets to the ending, it'll just close out. And at the first time, I was like, well, I don't know if this game crashed or I don't know if this is the way it's supposed to work. So I had to talk to somebody about it who was also a fan of the game. They're like, yeah, that's just the way it's supposed to end. Go, like, oh, okay, that, then that's fine. That's cool. It's got nice tinkly music as well. Yeah, it's if it's supposed to actually invoke the petrichor feeling, that entire experience, and it does that perfectly. Anything else worth noting about the game? I like the general sprite work and design. It's very simple, but it's emotive and animated. So it gets across what it wants to get across without being overly reductive. Is there, like, any backstory? Like, do you know who this girl is that you're playing as? None that I was able to suss out. It's just you start the game, you get an umbrella, and you just move forward. So, I guess, like, very abstract or mythic-based structure? Right. If there was a deeper meaning, I'm not sure I figured it out. 
Well, maybe someone else will. Yeah. That's the hope. Well, that's like video games are like all sorts of art. Sometimes even people who are good at figuring the deeper meanings behind things aren't going to figure out everything. Mm-hmm. I guess we're moving on to my all first right. game was this is a game that a few people noted a few months ago, but I don't think it got any traction beyond this is a thing that exists. And it's, as I believe it was described as a Nordic slam poetry <laughs> simulator. And I think it's pronounced Edda, E-D-D-A. Mm. It's a game by Diane Mueller. And what happens is you're in the middle of a great hall, sort of Viking-inspired, and you and another poet are at two ends of a long table, and you literally throw slam poetry at each other, which you choose from a long list of potential lines you can add to your poem. And you have to somehow counter the opponent's poem with several using several priests-determined themes. How this game determines whether you won or not, how well you chose the theme. And I should say, you're not choosing the whole line. It's like most of the line is written. You're choosing the final word within the line, or sometimes the middle word within the line, to somehow complete it. It's a verb or a noun, and it will somehow like be a response to the other poem. I'm not sure how the computer actually determines this. And in fact, I wasn't quite sure what... Ex- because a lot of the lines are so abstract... But the idea that you have to create poetry, not just within, like, just to do it, but within response to something, which means requires some level of critical thinking, and then figuring out what can be measured with each response. It's interesting, although I did lose the first few matches, (laughs) I soon later realized that after I figured out actually what was going on, like how, because it doesn't explain anything. So I had to figure out how, like, the controls work and what I was responding to and, like, what the themes were. But once I got that, I found that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't lose. And I did try to lose. <laughs> so, like I said, I don't know how a computer judges poetry or if even if it even can, but rather the just the very act of creating poetry right. was more its style. Is it difficult to figure out the themes, like, or pick up on what exactly it wants? Well, if I had actually bothered to scroll down on the Itch.io page, <laughs> it would have just blatantly told me. <laughs> and the themes, uh, or at least I think that, the themes are a wise, humorous, sensitive, or ancient. Mm. So I guess you could like figure out how that works. Although, since everything is so broad, anything can sound wise if you say it correctly, although it's just a like text above the two principal characters' heads. And humorous, you can actually create some real chuckles or some real insults in the slam poetry style in, in that sense. I, I don't really know how to describe it without like the other person to, or talk about it without the other person actually experiencing it for themselves just to understand the basics. Right. I'm actually... Or I'm, their own really fascinated out by it. the idea of the computer judging poetry like as a writer it's always been like i'm curious how somebody without or something without the mechanism for subjective experiences can actually like judge those so i'm like i'd love to hear the game logic behind that i'm sure the person i'm uh who diane mueller i believe yeah. is the person who wrote this then i am sure they would love <laughs> 
to explain if you email them. <laughs> that might be something so, I'll do, because that, that does sound really fascinating. Actually, that's an idea. Maybe I'll do that at some <laughs> point in the future. <laughs> yeah, it was created for a ludum dare with the theme of unconventional weapon. Mm. I think that qualifies. Yeah. Unless you're at Eminem, then probably pretty conventional. <laughs> some of them actually turned into that. <laughs> All right. So, what's your second game? Uh, second game, I chose uh, Fallow by Rook. It's a itchy.io game, and the general art style, I would I was trying to figure out a good term for this, but it's kind of like if you took PS1 graphics and put them at a Game Boy color filter, because all the sprite work is absolutely, like the, the background and all that, all absolutely beautiful, but it's put down to about two or three colors, and it's a very deliberate choice, but it looks amazing for what it is. I come down to certain areas, like there's a point where you would go down into the basement of the library and discover a hole that leads to a, just a sunset. It's still a perfectly beautiful sunset, that, even though they're only pretty much using the colors orange and brown to show it. And uh, at the beginning of the game, they tell you everything matters, check everything. And while I appreciate that idea, it does become a little pixel hunty. At one point, I got lost in the demo for about half an hour because I couldn't find the thing I'm supposed to find. And I had to, again, ask someone and be like, hey... Where's this one plug for this part? It's like the old adventure game problem of, like, honey plus cat hair equals mustache, of course. So that, I mean, maybe that's just an adventure game thing. People who really like adventure games tend to be more forgiving of that, but it tend like, it got a little too pixel hunty for me. What I found most interesting about the game is that it starts you off in a world without giving you any explanation about it. And obviously most games, they do have you piece together what the world is, but it's not patronizing about it at all. The character in question is, she seems like she wants to talk about it. She wants to talk about what's wrong with the world and her part in it, because from what I could gather, her family caused a, or didn't cause a cataclysm. They made everyone stay back because they didn't believe in a cataclysm. So they're like the anti-prophets. So because of that, her blood essentially is cursed and the world hates her. So she basically wants to get this off her chest and she wants to explain how it's not her fault at every turn. Another really good thing I like about it is that it's a kind of an unreliable narrator story because the character is by her own admission kind of crazy. So there are obstacles in your way that you don't know are actually there, but you can't do anything about it because your body believes they're there. So for example, the first major obstacle is you can't go down a path because it's covered in some sort of static tile. So there's no reason that static tile should exist, so it probably doesn't actually exist. But until you can do something to turn it off and tell your brain that this is not real, then you can't actually pass by. And it all fits together really nicely in this theme of like sorrow and loss. And she's kind of apathetic about things. She understands what needs to be done, but she isn't keen on doing it. And it's understandable because if you're someone of cursed blood, you probably don't want to really enjoy the world because there's nothing to enjoy. And I think anybody who anybody who's basically grown up in a place where they don't feel like they belong could probably relate to that pretty well. Yeah, I'm reading this this intro. This is Fallow is a gothic Americana adventure game based on exploration, heavy atmosphere, and simple puzzles. Right. Is it just the demo at the moment? It's just a demo. It's the game, I think, passed green light. So I think she is still working on the full game. 
So at the moment, I think only GIO only has the uh, demo available. This actually looks very striking for how basic it yeah. is. It's basically the definition of being able to build a picture with very limited colors. Yeah, and it seems like uh, the limited color they use that uh, old bleeding technique, where they have like they have two colors, but they shade it in such a way to give the impression of different colors. Right. There was one po- point in the game where uh, you take an elevator down two floors, and even though the basic structure is identical, the very slight changes actually make it look really similar. I, the first thing I thought of, I don't know if this is something that influenced her when she made it, was uh, Chrono Trigger, the Lavos uh, battle. Like, it looks almost exactly like that chamber. And it's like, to get that same imagery from colors not even close to as expansive is incredibly impressive. It should be noted that when you say elevator, but all these, like, promo pictures are within a forest. Yeah. So is it just the elevators in the middle of the forest? There is a melding of technology and nature that they don't, at least as far as I got in the demo, they never explain. And I'm sure maybe the full game is going to do that. Or maybe they just don't. And that's fine with me because if it's part of your world, you don't question it. Like there's a point I reached for a cliffside where somebody was drawing clothes between two trees and the entire cliffside was just machinery. And they never, she just says, like, oh, it's a machinery cliffside or something, and that's it. She doesn't point out that that's weird at all. So the game takes place in definitely a fantasy universe, even though it frequently references the Americas. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure where the uh, environment is, but it's definitely a melding of modern tech and kind of rustic areas. Looks very neat. Yeah. All right, my second game is a game from several years ago. I want to say it was 2009 when it came out, if memory serves me correctly. It's a game called Small Worlds, and it was an online Flash game that was made for some contest, on a website contest, based on a th- basically a precursor to the game jams. And this one, as far as I could tell, won the design contest, and deservedly so, and you play a small figure, and it's like the pixels is very small, so like the figure is literally just is like a rectangle that's three times tall as it is wide, and that's supposed to be a person. And you start very zoomed in within like a cracked dome, and as soon as you start moving around, it starts like removing the fog of war that's around you and start filling in all the details of the environment, and the camera slowly pulls out and keeps pulling out and as you explore this environment it keeps just keeps pulling out until you can see the whole thing this massive structure and then you find the teleporter room there's four portals you jump inside one and each one leads you to another small world where you then explore and find the ruins of some disaster or catastrophe or just how things ended I don't really know how to like fully describe this without like images because it's the it's the feeling it's not just exploring but getting the full scope and scale of the area because like you mentioned Metroidvanias earlier where you go and you expand your knowledge or like you add to a map but you're still sort constrained visually by the single area that you're in the room here it just keeps pull, it keeps pulling out and you get a scale of like the whole thing and you're able 
it creates a, a literal picture of something that collapsed or was destroyed. Or in the case of one, just a bunch of, a bunch of floating rocks that looked like they had exploded apart and then froze. And it, it's really, I guess, poetic because there's a few words at the beginning and a few words at the end. And in the middle, it's just this little atmospheric hum with maybe a few notes strung throughout and just pure visual exploration and what you can get out of seeing this whole area or the multiple small worlds as you go through the different teleporters and then teleport back to the central hub. You don't collect anything. You, you just It's just literal the seeing of these places and the meaning is supposed to come out of that. And I really like this so much back in the day. I recommended it to everyone I could, and, well, it was an online Flash game, so you can imagine how far that went. <laughs> it sounds like something that's, like, it actually probably would fit better in a more modern context where people tend to, I wouldn't say compare it to a roguelike, but the same ideas sound similar, of mm-hmm. starting somewhere and then slowly fanning out your ability to explore until you solve, not necessarily solve a mystery, but solve a, a picture for what this area looks like or what your end goal should be or what, what the general, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, what the conflict is in this area. And that's probably not a one-to-one comparison, but it does sound like something that has roots in the sim- same ideas that roguelikes came from. I would say that environmental storytelling is a very big thing here because Certain things are animated, like the falling of water or like the breathing of air, which is really done very simply by like some color changes within the different pixels that represent falling water. But the entire things are stationary. There's no living things here. It's just what is left. Right. And the idea is that, okay, you get this one snapshot to understand what happened in this world or this part of the world or this reality we i again i don't know what they each are if they're connected or if they're just represent four different worlds that somehow met their end differently and it, it's in that environmental storytelling and it doesn't really necessarily matter what it ultimately is just that it presents a feeling of a certain existence or end of existence it's actually one of the things i liked about like, again, to bring this to a modern context, was uh, Dark Souls, was the idea of exploring old ruins, and these are thousands of years ago that everyone just died off, and trying to figure out not necessarily what happened, but the reason everything is the way it is. Just exploring the death of a civilization is always incredibly fascinating to me in a video game, because a designer made that. They created an entire world for you to figure out what the fiction of that world is. And it's no different from actually just reading a book of fiction, but I find the interactive element and the way they try to tell you without actually telling you to always be more fascinating. Okay, what's your final game? Uh, My final game is Rain House Eternity by Kitty Horror Show. This is a game essentially about suicide, and the trigger warning at the beginning was this game is about suicide. So... I don't know how personal I can get here, but when I was in high school, a friend of mine killed herself, and that affected me greatly for the rest of my life, and to the point where I, at points in my life, had suicidal thoughts as well. 
and playing this game it it takes those feelings of emotional inadequacy and self abuse and kind of puts them on a plate in front of people. The structure of the game is that basically it's a first person wanderer where you start somewhere and as you go along, you collect these little gems and each time you collect a gem, a message appears that it describes emotional and physical abuse, but it doesn't describe the actual events of them. It describes the feelings the person had during those events. And it all comes across as very frightening in a way because it's all so human. You understand what they're going through, even if you've never actually been through that. And it uses structures as a means of hope and horror because as you start going through this game, you start off in a forest and to bring up a Dark Souls comparison again, the way Dark Souls used things you know, but in different weird shapes to make you uncomfortable is very similar to this game. So the forests don't have normal looking trees that are dead and they're monstrous in very grotesque kind of ways. So as you're moving forward, trying to flee from the discomfort of the area, you end up coming to a uh, ziggurat and climbing that and climbing further up, you start getting to more structure, but they become less and less normal you start seeing statues that aren't of any kind of particular shape or representing anything obvious, but they're disfigured in strange ways. And it's there's kind of a weird beauty in the way that they exist. And towards the end of the game, I don't want to spoil it, but it uh, you get presented with a choice. And that choice explains to you why everything that's happened has happened and what you can do for yourself about that. And that's where that game really hit home for me was I felt, I don't want to say emotionally drained by the time that happened, but incredibly compelled to just end it like that and just end the game and move forward and kind of get this out of my life because it is incredibly personal in a lot of ways. And I imagine a lot of people are going to feel the same way, but a lot of games have tackled the idea of suicide before, but I don't think anyone has actually tried to tackle the, emotions behind suicide quite as well as this game did and it reminded me of an old quote that i cannot remember who to attribute it to but the idea of man is both the marble and the sculptor the idea of making a structure from your emotions is roughly the core conceit of this game if you have any emotional turbulence in your life and i'd be shocked to find anyone who hasn't this would be something that you could at least try to figure out if this appeals to you it certainly looks like a Kitty Horror Show game. <laughs> I've heard her name, or Kitty Horror Show's name, uh, a lot recently in terms of, like, they're going to get big one day and they're just right on the verge of it. But right now they're they're making those incredibly artistic games that are going to appeal to a very small subset of people, but that subset is going to love them. And I kind of understand what they mean now. It's very grayscale. Right. Like, all of the Kitty Horror Show's games have, like, We've noted this in an earlier episode of the podcast where they have, like, a color scheme to them that sort of defines the world. And this one, it seems to be, like, like a very, I guess, shiny black and white. Yeah, or generally, like... Fully grayscale. It's, it feels like a real low-poly kind of thing, but it works perfectly for the actual conceit of the story. And 
The low-poly, angular look of some of the things that they try to make look disfigured actually really help the way that you look at them because just seeing the shapes of the stones makes sense for the way they want to horrify you in a way. Like, they want to look strange and somewhat offensive to your sense of uh, sight. This last one is sort of a late inclusion for me, given recent events. And because this is being recorded in the wake of Tale of Tales, that they have to change their direction and move away from games, given the recent financial troubles. Mm -hmm. And in looking over their catalog, I find that while most of their games have had a lot of chatter about them, the one that kind of brought them to everyone's attention has gotten little to no criticism, and it is The Graveyard. It is a game where you play an old French woman who walks into a graveyard, goes, sits down on a bench, hears a song, and then leaves. The entire thing is about five to ten minutes long, and that's the entire experience. She walks very slowly because she walks with a cane. It's sort of realistic in that regard of how she moves and her struggle there. And you can play it the entire thing for free, or you can buy it for about $5. And the only thing that buying it adds is that in every playthrough, there is the potential that she dies. <laughs> that is the only thing they've added. Tale of Tales is known for being very experimental with the ideas they've tried or, I guess, pushing the boundaries in what can be considered like interaction or how you can squeeze the rock of a video game to get meaningful juice out of it, I guess is a way of putting it. And The Graveyard is, I think, probably more interesting than some of their later efforts, like Beyond Le Tête, which I find inscrutable and rather pointless. But this one seems like it has like a, a kernel of reality that anchors its truth into something more relatable and meaningful in that regard. It sounds really interesting, but it sounds decidedly macabre as well, because the pay for old woman death, while a fascinating choice, I, I kind of wonder what people thought they were getting from that. Like, I, for me, I would get it just as a curiosity. Like, I would pay for that, and also probably just a tip jar. But I'm really interested to know what the audience would... But it's only a potential for death. Right. It doesn't mean that she will die. Right. It's not like DLC endings. It's <laughs> <laughs> The song that's sung is in French, but I get the idea that it's like a reminiscent of the past, or rumination on life, and the such. Or at least I hope it is, otherwise it would feel a little out of place. <laughs> so, I don't know much on, on that regard. But... Yeah, and of course, there is, I think it was Richard Lamarck, who worked at Naughty Dog a few years ago, saying that, yeah, this game inspired the village sequence in Uncharted 2. Mm. So it's got that going for it. I think the idea is great of the just smaller, compact idea that exists solely for a general artistic message, because video games have not ever had that equivalent to the short film of the outstanding college thing or young director making a three-minute video that may, somebody, a director up and coming, might see at 3 a.m. at night and think, wow, this is amazing. And there, that it, there is no short film category at a video game award show. Yeah, and unlikely there will be within our lifetimes, but 
I mean, I mean, even in the last five years, we've seen things change dramatically. Like in 2009, I would never expect Gone Home to exist, and now it exists as if almost as if it's a mainstream game. Like we're getting more and more granular with those things, but that's one of the reasons that the Tale of Tales thing kind of hit me pretty hard is that even if I didn't necessarily like their games, and I did, it just that's one voice that we're losing when we could have had we should be expanding as opposed to losing voices now mm-hmm. yeah like i said i bring this one up because out of their entire catalog i think this is the only one that really didn't get much attention mm-hmm. and it is their one of their earlier works so it's understandable in that regard thank you imran for coming on thank you for having and, me and uh, joining me this month it was a pleasure i had fun <laughs> And to anyone listening, you can find links to all the games discussed here down in the show notes. Thank you again. Thank you.